Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And it's book club today. Yeah, it is. So today we're talking about Clap When You Land by Elizabeth Acevedo, which was excellent. If you have not read it, I highly recommend it. We loved this book. And guess what? Elizabeth Acevedo is coming on the podcast tomorrow. And we couldn't be more excited to talk to her. It was such an honor to get to interview her. But in the meantime, Grace, before we get into the book, let's talk highs and lows. You had a very high week. What is your high? Um, my high is multiple things. It was a it was a big week. I launched my Amazon drop collection. It sold out. Most of the pieces sold out within the first like 25 minutes, which was wild. They also asked me to do a fall collection, which we're going to be meeting and talking about this week. So more to come there. That's incredible. I know. And then also, this was kind of an afterthought that turned into something really wonderful. I feel like Everything I've been talking about has has centered around Black Lives Matter, and that's obviously incredibly important, but I was like, I haven't done anything for Pride. So I was like, oh, I'll do a little raffle on my Instagram story with like a box of beauty products, and I posted it, and in 24 hours, we raised over $20,000 for the LGBT center. I mean, that's incredible, number one. But number two, that box of beauty products is insane. It's like $3,000 worth of stuff. I know. So I think I'm going to just do this regularly, like save up products for a big giveaway and do it frequently. I have to figure out, I think I have to print a UPS mailer at home and maybe have Gerald pick it up because it's so heavy. I don't think I'll make the walk to the post office. Yeah. Unless I buy one of those like pulley things to drag it on. And nobody needs one of those. So today's Friday and we're recording it and I'm going to mail it out on Monday. We'll figure out how to do it. Okay. <laughs> but I was so excited. I had, I was like, oh, maybe this will raise a couple thousand dollars and like $20,000. Like that will make a really big difference for their, for the center. That's amazing. Yeah. So it was a good week. How about I'm you? I'm so glad. Well, it's not my high, but I was very excited to shop your collection. I got three pieces and I beat people to the, to the punch. I was like feeling very competitive. The green leopard, like, I don't know what happened. Like, I think probably because a bunch of bloggers also posted about it, but it was wild. Like, people, I, w- I thought the red leopard was going to go before the green leopard. Well, I got both. Very excited. Um, but my high is that I have been writing season two of rom-com pods this week, and I just feel like I'm on such, I'm riding a high of creative energy. It feels great. That's so exciting. I, I cannot wait. I can't wait either, but I think it's um, it feels different this time, both because I think having gone through it once, I have trust in the process. So it just feels lighter this time. Like it feels like a joy to sit down and write. It doesn't feel as nerve wracking. Yeah. Um, and then also just knowing how much people are enjoying season one, I feel energized that people like what we are making. And so hopefully they will continue to. I've just been in my own little world and it feels awesome. That's so great. It's been really good. How about Lowe's? Um, I am stressed about work and money. I, I'm not direly stressed, but I'm like just it's, a, it's in the back of my mind. Yeah. I am wrapping up with 
one of my clients at the end of this month. So I'll only have one client. And I had been hoping to line up another project and I was in talks and it didn't work out, which is fine. But I I just think it's going to be hard to backfill that client slot in kind of the current state of affairs with COVID and the economy. Yeah. So I mean, on the plus side, to like look on the bright side, I am spending a lot less money because we've been in quarantine. So I don't go anywhere. I don't do anything. I don't travel. So my expenditures are way down. And also that means that I have more free time in July to work on season two of Rom-Com Pods, which is when we'll kind of do the majority of writing in June and July. So there is a bright side, but there's a part of me that just doesn't like the uncertainty of not having the next thing lined up. Yeah. So I'm feeling a little stressed about both of those things. Maybe one of our listeners will have a project for you. Oh my gosh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. What about you? What's your low? I don't have any real lows, but I am tired. Like I've been, yesterday I think I was on, that. yesterday was the day of the launch. I think I was on my phone from like basically the whole day because I was just replying to DMs and like make, monitoring things and my, my head just hurt by the the end of the day. So I am having a relatively phone-free weekend. Okay. I'm going to read. I My goal is to read two books. I want to fin- read The Va- Vanishing Half and also the new Riley Sager book. Ooh. Um, I want to cook. I want to work in my garden. I just want to be outside. Okay, great. So it's not a real low. I don't, I'm, I don't feel bad, but I just, I'm tired. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. You know what would make Grace feel better? What? This is a weird transition. Oh, this is a weird, weird transition. Um, I'm fine. I don't need to feel better. I feel great. <laughs> if you left us a review in Apple Podcasts or shared Bad on Paper on your Instagram stories. You guys, we haven't had a desperation minute in so long. Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing. So <laughs> Apple Podcasts is kind of this very opaque monster of a ratings beast that we have to feed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it eats new ratings and new those listeners. are its favorite snacks. Those are its favorite snacks. So um, if you can help us feed our pet monster, we would really appreciate it. Yeah, because the more we feed it, the more it'll boost us up in rankings and the more people will see it and then we'll grow. This has become such a strange analogy. Oh my God. The other thing you can do is put us on your Instagram story. I love when you guys share. It makes me so happy. One of my favorite parts of Wednesdays. True. Or any day. Okay, let's take a quick ad break and then get into the book. Yes. So today we have a new sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Pros. So I recently started using their shampoo and conditioner and I love it. So before I tell you about the products, I just want to caveat that before we accepted the ad, I think I asked about five times if we could back out of it if we didn't like the product. I just, I'd never tried the product and I just didn't want to endorse it if I didn't legit love it. But spoiler, I do. So I've been talking on the podcast recently about how I feel like my hair has totally changed during quarantine. So I've definitely been washing my hair way less frequently, and my hair has just been drier than ever before as I go longer between washes, or I don't know, maybe there's another cause, probably also my dry shampoo consumption. So I was kind of struggling because I felt like the products I was using just didn't really address my current hair wants and needs. So this ad came at a really great time for me because I was already looking to switch things up, but I also didn't really know what I was looking for. 
So Pros is made-to-order hair products that are customized for individual people, not hair types. So you go on their site and you take an incredibly comprehensive quiz about your hair. And they ask you everything from questions about your hair care routine to what you're looking for in products to your zip codes that they can account for environmental factors where you live. And then they formulate a unique blend just for you. So with their algorithm, there are actually 50 billion, that is billion with a B, formula combinations that can be had. That's crazy. So based on my quiz responses, I got a shampoo that's formulated to cleanse and reset while also reviving dry or damaged hair. And then my conditioner is designed to smooth and also build volume. And it's honestly, it's been my like perfect hair regimen. I've been using the products for about two weeks now, and I really notice a difference in my hair health, and specifically that when I air dry my hair, it just looks way smoother. And then it also doesn't get dry on the third day post-wash. But again, those are like my hair problems. You might have different ones, but they can help with those too. And also just to mention, it smells so good. I feel like some shampoo smells cheesy. Like it, it smells like it's from Bath and Body Works. Um, so I got the Corsica scent, which is Anjou pear, peony, and cedar, and it smells incredible. And if I haven't convinced you yet, it is totally totally risk-free. If you're not 100% satisfied, they'll take the product back, no questions asked. So Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. You can take the free in-depth hair quiz and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash B-O-P. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash B-O-P for your free in-depth hair quiz and 15% off. Let's get back to the episode. All right. So this book. This book. Oh my God. This book was so good. Well, let's give a plot summary first. Let's do that. So the book opens with Camino. She's a 16-year-old living in the Dominican Republic. Since her mother died, she's lived with her aunt, who is a traditional healer. Camino dreams of combining the healing she knows from her aunt with modern medicine and becoming a doctor. She wants to go to Columbia in New York City, where her father lives. Every June, her father comes to visit her in the Dominican Republic and stays for the whole summer. But this year, his plane crashes on the way to visit, and there are no survivors. So Yahira lives in Morningside Heights in New York City, and she's a middling student, but she is a nationally ranked chess player. And outside of school, she's a quiet rule follower whose real passion is fashion. And she is eating lunch in the school cafeteria with her girlfriend, Andrea, or just Dre to her, when she gets pulled out of lunch to find her mom in curlers in the principal's office. Um, And she's there because her father has died in a plane crash. Camino lives in the nicest house in a poor neighborhood in the Dominican Republic. Her father wanted them to move somewhere nicer, but her aunt refused. So he had running water, bathrooms, cable, and Wi-Fi installed. Her father also enrolled her in the international school, where she's always on the honor roll. But life on the island is still really hard. Her aunt doesn't make much money, her best friend is pregnant, and a man called El Cerro, who runs a prostitution rink, keeps trying to talk to her. So before her father died, Yahira hadn't spoken to him in a year. So last summer, in her father's papers, she discovered an envelope with a marriage certificate in it and discovered that her father had married another woman a few months after he married her mother. And she didn't tell anyone, but she did quit chess in protest, which broke her father's heart. After their father's 
body is recovered, they begin planning the funeral. He wanted to be buried in the Dominican Republic, but Yahira's mother refuses. She eventually relents when his brother shows that it was in his will, but she says she and Yahira will not go. Yahira starts questioning what her mother and her family might know about her father's secret. Also in the aftermath, the airline offers the family $500,000 in compensation for the death of the father. This is more money than they have ever known. So in the Dominican Republic, Camino's Tia begins to plan for the funeral. So Tia Jorge also tells her that the airline is offering $500,000 for dependents. So this prompts Tia to tell Camino about her father's other family. She has a sister that is two months younger than her living in New York City. So Camino is completely reeling. She had no idea and she's lost both her parents, but now she has a sister. So this also means that Camino could try to apply for some of the money from the airline, but Yahira's mother would probably block her. And Camino's father had also been trying to get her a visa to come to the U.S., but it was based on his other wife's citizenship status. So if Camino still wants to go to the U.S., Yahira's mother will have to sponsor her. Camino looks up Yahira on Facebook and sends her a message. Yahira is shocked to learn of Camino's existence. She knew about her mother, but not Camino. She shows her mother, and her mother explains that Yano was a complicated man. She had been keeping his secret to protect her mother, but her mother knew all along. Yahira eventually messages back Camino. She decides she will go to the Dominican Republic for the funeral. So four days before the funeral, Camino calls Yahira and tells her that she won't tell her any details about the funeral unless Yahira sends her money. So Yahira tells her that it's her money, too, and she didn't need to threaten her. And she asks her how much she wants, and Camino says $10,000, and Yahira promises that she will wire it this week. Yahira arrives in the Dominican Republic and Camino picks her up. They are pretty wary of each other at first, but Yahira is here alone and really needs to rely on Camino. Back at the house, her mother calls. Dre has told her Yahira's plan and she is furious. So her mother shows up the next day and together they bury Yano, Yahira, and Camino's father. Yahira and her mom are getting ready to leave in a few days, and one night, Camino makes her move. She takes Yahira's passport and leaves, planning to pass herself off as Yahira and fly to the U.S. So she leaves a note for her tia and goes to the beach one last time before she heads to the airport, and El Cerro finds her there. She tried to pay him off, but he figures out her plan and steals her passport. He also tries to rape her, but Yahira, her mother, and their tia, and her tia, come and save Camino. So back at home, Yahira's mother tells them that Camino will come back to the United States with them. El Cerro will come back for her, and it is not safe for her in the Dominican Republic. So they rush the process of getting her a visa, and the book ends with the three of them flying back to New York. So that is the book. That is the book. What I think is one of the most interesting pieces of the book is that the book is completely written in verse. So it is written as if it is a poem. It flows like a sentence structure, though. So I guess it's kind of a hybrid. I don't know. What did you think of the writing style? I loved it. When I opened it, I was like, oh, is this one long poem? I don't know if I'm going to like this. And I loved it. I tore through it. And I feel like the writing style, like really the way that she structured it in verse 
allowed for like a lot of the emotion to kind of be reflected there. And it just made for like, you know, dramatic pauses. And it was such, so much of the subject matter was so sad that I feel like the writing structure enhanced that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I was actually really wary when I first started reading it. So you screened the book for book club and I didn't read the book until this week. When I opened it, I was reading the first couple pages and I was like, what have we done? <laughs> I was like, this seems oh no like people are not gonna like it and probably after five pages or so I got really into it and it was very quick to read like the book probably took me all in I don't know three hours to read yeah Um, it's such a thick book so it looks yeah intimidating yeah it's it's 400 plus pages but because of the way it's written it's it's very very fast but I also felt like the fact that it was written in verse the words chosen were so much more thoughtful yes because it was explaining things so I guess succinctly but also in like this visual and emotional language like there wasn't the floweriness of like, she was wearing this and then this happened. Like it was just, it was the details that were chosen were there for a reason. I, I thought it like added a lot of poignancy to the book. I agree. Um, And actually after, you know, the first chapters, it didn't even trip me up. Like I wasn't even thinking about it. Yeah. I was just so into the book. I also thought that each of the girls' voices like came through so differently. Like in the beginning, I was like, wait, who's talking? And then once I got it, I was like, it was so clear who was who without even looking at the chapter headers. I can't wait to talk to Elizabeth about this because I mean, to my knowledge, this is the only book I've ever seen that was written in this way. So I'm just super interested to hear what the process was like. I know, me too. But let's talk about the let's talk about the characters. So the first person I want to talk about is Camino Nihira's father. So Yano married two women. He had the secret family in the Dominican Republic. And I was really struggling through the whole book to kind of decide where I came down on him. Yeah, I think it goes to show you that, you know, people are complex. Um, I don't know that I I definitely don't think you should have two families or marry two wives. But also, it was so clear that he was a very good father and cared about both girls so deeply. So it was conflicting. And I think that, that that's one of the things I loved about the book. It actually reminded me a little bit of um, that bo- the book I read more recently, Patsy, um, by Nicole Dennis-Ben. Because similarly, like he is somebody who made some bad choices. Does that make him a bad person? And it's just so clear that he loved both girls so much. Yeah, I mean, it was told in kind of alternating perspectives where they obviously both thought that he hung the moon. Like they were so obsessed with their father. Like he was such a larger than life personality when he was alive. Um, But then they were both grappling with kind of how he operated having this secret family, having two wives. And it almost was, that's not true. I was going to say it was almost more about the secrecy where I think they were grappling with not having known, but I think it also would have been a big deal if it came out when he was alive. Like it's just yeah, a big shocking thing. I think that's something that happens too when you're a teenager. You realize your parents are fallible. Like they're totally. no longer these like, like everyone's human and everyone makes mistakes. It's not the same thing, but I remember when I was in high school and I found pot in my dad's car and I was so so upset. Were you? Yeah, I was like, my dad does drugs. Like, I mean, fast forward to now. I mean, I don't smoke pot, but I don't consider it a drug. Like, I think it should be legal. Um, <laughs> but I remember that moment when I was young, finding that and being like, so upset. I think there was also that added layer because their father was dead. I wrote down this quote yeah. from the book where it said, 
This was from Camino's point of view, where she said, it is a tiring thing to have to continue forgiving a father who is no longer here, where it also, there was the element of not having the closure of being able to talk through any of this with him. And so they were basically just like putting together his logic and rationale based on mostly on Yahira's mother's account and Camino's Tia's account of what happened and who he was. Yeah. Could you imagine like finding that out about your father and missing him so much and like there, that just like so many, so many conflicted feelings. Absolutely. Absolutely. I also, another thing that was a big theme in the book was the differences in Camino and Yahira's lives and upbringing. Yeah. And how they were both, they were sisters, but they were raised in very different circumstances. Yeah. Um, it was really interesting. I felt myself gravitating more towards Yahira just because I understood what her life was like. You know, yeah. she lived in New York. She went to an American school. Like her life and her activities felt very understandable to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas Camino's life felt really foreign in a way that I couldn't conceive of, like talking about how um and there's no power in a lot of the houses and talking about like the danger and talking about her prospects for her future and and kind of like the situation that her friends are in. Um, and I just thought it was so interesting how these two sisters who were the daughters of the same man and he was president in both of their lives were living such different lives. Um, but then, you know, I think there is the universality of them both dealing with the same grief and dealing with like this betrayal and it was like at the bone like in inside no matter their circumstances like emotionally they were dealing with the same things yeah i think also it was interesting to I was most interested in Camino, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Not because I identified with her, but because her life was so different. I was just more intrigued, I think. I thought it was also very interesting, like, the way that she looked at Yahira like they were rich. Like, they were yes. this really rich family. And, you know, if you if we were to look at Yahira's life, like, yeah, they were comfortable. But to someone in America, we wouldn't have ref- thought of her as, like, really wealthy. No. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. There was also this part in where Camino realizes that her father always brought her clothes and they were always secondhand. But, you know, she's used to secondhand clothes, so she wasn't expecting new clothes. But then when she finds out about her sister, she realizes that they're Yahira's hand-me-downs. Yeah. And I, like, really felt for that where it was also, like, even their father had somewhat different standards for them where it was, like, yeah. obviously Yahira was getting new stuff mm-hmm. and then Camino was getting the seconds, but also, like, partially because he could get away with it because she didn't expect it. Yeah. Like having sisters, like growing up, I mean, my sisters would get really resentful because I got the new clothes and they got my hand-me-downs. Oh. And it made me think about that a lot. Like it's, it doesn't feel good to be the one that's like the afterthought. Yeah. Or even um, there's the part that I mentioned at the end where um, Camino threatens Yahira and she's like, you have to give me money. Yes. And she only asks for $10,000, which I mean, also like how much can a teenager get away with like pilfering from their parents without noticing? But it was like, that was what she thought was like the big ask and like how far that would go in her life versus, you know, in the United States, that being a considerably less significant amount of money that you hire is like, yeah, okay, 
Yeah. I mean, it also, I think she was like, it's not my money. It's your money too. So yeah. And she was kind of over it at that point. She's like, I don't want this. Like, give it away. But the fact that she only asked her $10,000 and she wasn't like, give me $250,000, give me half or give me even a third if they were, if you were thinking about Yahira's mother, Yahira and Camino as like the three dependents. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was so interesting to just see the differences in in their expectations. Mm Mm-hmm. What about Yahira's sexuality? I thought this was really interesting. So um, we didn't really talk about it much in the summary. No, because it was kind of just something that was there. There wasn't anything explosive about it where she wasn't like, I'm not sure if I'm gay. She was sure. She'd been with Dre since I think middle school, like for a long time. They'd been girlfriends and um, there wasn't really any like victimization of her for being gay. Like there were you know, she was like broadly accepted. Um, I, the only time it was mentioned was that she wasn't sure what you hire or what Camino would think because homosexuality is um, much more scandalous in the Dominican Republic. But it like really wasn't an issue, which I always think that's nice in a YA book that theoretically teens are reading, where, you know, if um, somebody's sexuality is mentioned in passing and it's like not an issue it's not like I love a struggle too. i really like that There's um, a tv show that we were watching and i forget what it was i don't know but i feel like that's been a theme lately where it's just it's they're gay it's normal like there there's no it's not an issue or it's like not a, a struggle yeah yeah but then there were a couple of things that i thought were interesting about the story around her sexuality so the first thing was that she knew that her mom knew mm-hmm. um but she didn't but her father didn't know yeah and i mean that's also a hard thing where he died and it was like you didn't have a chance to become your fullest self for this person who is very important in your life so i mean on a psychological level i wonder how this affected this fake person later in her life yeah then the other thing is it was mentioned at one point that dre is disappointed that she didn't quote unquote come out and she thinks that they're hiding each other but yahira just sees it as her not making a loudspeaker announcement and the people who know her know yeah and i was like i don't know i was i can see both sides yeah i thought that was interesting where she she felt out but her girlfriend didn't feel like she was out yeah i don't know i i thought it was interesting and i i loved their relationship like i thought the lovingness between them was really beautiful and especially at the end where dre makes such an overture and she um, plants an herb garden on the balcony for Camino to make her feel welcome. Like it was just so clear that they were such integral parts of each other's lives. And it was just like very sweet how they were each other's um, like emotional comfort. Like I felt like their relationship wasn't really portrayed as overly sexualized. They talked about kissing and but it wasn't like to my recollection, they never talked about having sex. I don't think they did. I think it was just kissing. Yeah. Yeah. But like the relationship felt much more emotional depth yeah i thought it was really beautiful yeah should we take a quick break let's do it so before we talk a little bit more about this book we want to tell you about a podcast we're both loving and that is bookable so this show dives into a single book with the author as your tour guide Yes. So with engaging sound design, tight interviews, and dynamic music, Bookable is less book report or book club and more something entirely new. A book exploded into audio form. So it cracks open everything from nonfiction bestsellers and National Book Award winners to obscure cult classics and works in translation, all in the name of helping you decide what to read next. 
Bookable is hosted by author Amanda Stern, and Amanda is the creator and host of the Happy Ending music and reading series at New York City's famous Joe's Pub and Symphony Space. Bookable features your favorite and soon-to-be favorite authors sharing stories both in and around the book with deep dives into how the work came to be. And they have some amazing guests. So guests include, but are not limited to, Alexander Chi, Mira Jacob, Susan Choi, Julie Oranger, and Jennifer Egan, among many others. Each Sunday, listeners can expect engrossing interviews, creative sound design, and mood-provoking scores as you settle in to explore a new book, one everyone's talking about, a classic, or something slightly obscure with the author leading the way. So Bookable is brought to you by Loud Tree Media. You can listen to new episodes every Sunday by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this show. Do it. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about Yahaira's identity. Her mother wanted her to be a lady. Her father wanted her to be a leader. Chess taught her that a queen can be both. I thought this was so interesting. So it felt like Camino was very sure of who she was and what she wanted. And Yahira was much more like seeking and questioning who she wanted to be and where she fit in. And especially, you know, both of Camino's parents were dead by the beginning of the book. Um, and I think Yahira had way more parental expectations mm-hmm. in terms of what they expected her future to look like. So I thought that was interesting. I I loved the whole chess storyline. At one point, they were talking about when she was a little kid and her dad would take her down to Washington Square Park. And like, there are all these old guys who play chess there for money. And she would like hustle them because she was like five. I loved that. But I thought chess as a metaphor for life was, was just like really beautifully interwoven through the whole story. Yeah. And I thought like this goes back a little bit around the identity like Camino just seemed so much older. She did. Than totally. Yahira. But then when Yahira got there and Camino pulled the whole act of like stealing the passport and needing help and needing to be saved, I thought that was kind of interesting because Yahira and her mother had to really step up and, and protect her. Yeah, it was a little bit of a role reversal where she was the one who had the money, she had the passport, she had more power, but she, she you're right, she did feel a lot younger yeah. Where she was still because you can a, a high schooler, a teenager. She got to be a kid and Camino didn't. Yeah. Both of her parents were dead. She was living in this poor place and she had to like be really scrappy and resourceful to like figure out how to get herself out of that situation. Yeah. Another question about identity that I I just I feel dumb for never having considered this. And it's something that also came up in Homegoing, which I read, but it's about immigrant identity. And so another thing that Yahira talks about how she's struggling with is that she was raised Dominican and Spanish is her first language. The food in her home is Dominican. Like she is Dominican, but she's never been there. And she's she's never been there in part because her mother has like forbade her from ever stepping foot on the island because of her father's other family. Um, So there were other circumstances at play, but um, just the, the identity of being identifying as something and being from somewhere that you doesn't claim you and like you've never been to. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting in this context. And then in Homegoing, there was a lot of um, the discussion was more broad reaching because it's an intergenerational novel that f- follows like seven generations. So th- it was talked about in the context of um, a- African-Americans who um, were brought to the United States as slaves. And so they had home 
countries and, you know, just the feeling of Africa as part of their identity, but somewhere that they had tie to. Yeah. And in that book, it was like for people many generations later. But I just that whole conversation just like really shot me in the heart a little bit. Yeah. About that feeling. Because I don't know. I mean, I obviously everyone in the U.S. has like some immigrant background the further you go back, like even people from the Mayflower came from somewhere. Um, but I, I mean, for me personally, like I feel like I identify as American first yeah. and then, you know, any further back background, like it, if somebody asked me like where I was from, mm-hmm. like I would, I would say American, like I wouldn't yeah, say any like ancestral identity. So I don't know. It was just something that I've never had to think about for myself. And I felt silly for never having considered it. Yeah. Another thing that's really interesting is the idea of learning to be sisters so late in their childhood because they're at this point they're 16 years old. Um so I thought that that is just like an interesting thing. Um one of the quotes from the book is sometimes I look at her and it hits me that she's the only person that can understand what I feel, but she's also the root of the hurt that I am feeling. I know. This was so intense. I mean, I can't imagine I mean, when I was a little kid, I'm an only child. And when I was a little kid, I always wanted siblings. But, you know, having a sibling come on the scene at age 16 must be so discombobulating. Yeah. And like kind of one of what we talked about earlier, though, like sibling rivalry is so real. And to like to think that your sibling like had got to have this much better life than you had, that's got to be like such a a hard thing to swallow and probably like a a big cause of anger at the father. Absolutely. Like your worthiness where it was like your father spent nine months out of the year versus three, spent more of his money on this other daughter. Yeah. That like it wasn't equitable. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I know. I, I felt I really felt for them. And I think in both of their cases, they were wondering what kind of relationship they wanted with the other because there was so much hurt because of their mothers. Yeah. Um and like whose side are you on almost? Like they yeah. were like against each other. Yeah. Um and just going back to like even more so because their father was already dead, it was like they had to grapple through that themselves. Like there was nobody to ask for questions. Like I just I really felt for them where it was like you're grieving the only other person who gets it is the stranger who is part of the reason you're grieving. It's part of the reason you're grieving, but like also like you low key hate because they like were what's was standing in the way of your opportunity or your relationship with your father or like I don't know. Yeah, that's so true. I I just I could only think of it in terms of myself and like having been an only child if I all of a sudden found out that I wasn't. Yeah. I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, I know. Let's talk about Yahira's mother. Yes. So she was such a complex character too. I feel like I had such I had such strong feelings about the parents because at the beginning I kind of not hated her. Hated her is not the right word. I was frustrated with her. I was frustrated with her where it was like, why aren't you letting your daughter go to her father's funeral? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you, this is obviously not Yahira's fault. Like, why do you hate Camino? Why do you hate like And when she was giving away all the money in the beginning, I was yeah. like, no, like save the money. Save it. I know. And so I really was like not her biggest fan. And then at the end, when she kind of had this 180 and she was like, she took Camino aside and was telling her, like, I needed to see if I could be a mother to you. And the fact that she was like taking in her 
husband's other child who she had like such a complex relationship with I was like oh my god I do love you yeah that's when I started to cry and just like that was so heartwarming to me like it really showed just like so much selflessness on her part and just like a really like complicated kind of love like when she helped Camino get all her documents in order and told her she was going to New York I was just like I start I was like sobbing but she was also rightfully angry like can you imagine how fucking pissed you would be sorry to swear i guess that was we're allowed to swear i know podcast. but like that wasn't like but necessary you'd be so pissed if your husband had another wife who was your best friend yes it, because that was the thing is that like they had been close friends and also he married yahira's mom and then like three months later married this other woman and it was like what like we we just yes. got married yes it's wild did you change your mind Already? Like, what? Yeah, Yeah, I know. And, you know, also just having to live with his secret from her daughter and having to, like, know that he was going to the Dominican Republic for three months every year when he told you, Hira, it was a business trip and, like, just having to lie. Like, I I just had really complex feelings about her because even though I didn't agree with her not wanting her daughter to go to her father's funeral, I was also like, yeah, like, you were wronged. Mm Mm-hmm. You, t- I totally like saw both sides. I know. Yeah. I know. I feel like we need to wrap up by talking about the title of this book, which is Clap When You Land. So this book changed my mind. Yeah, I definitely was like the person who was like, really, must we clap when, when the plane lands? Yeah, I feel like whenever I've been on a flight and that happens, I'm just like, I roll. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen memes. It's like, imagine if you met the love of your life and then you take a trip together and he gets up and claps when the plane right. lands. Right. <laughs> um, but this really changed my mind. It was so heartwarming when... Yeah, it was yeah. so heartwarming. And even just the um, the way it's explained that you need to, like, give thanks for, like, coming home. I was like, oh, this is, like, kind of beautiful. And I've been being a monster. Yes. Um, and even just also the the final scene of the book is Camino on the, this plane. And she's never been on a plane before going back to the United States and just, like, thinking about, like, the intensity of the feeling of, like, traveling when it's not something that you're just, like doing every few weeks out of the year like plane travel has become so blase which is obviously a privilege um and so thinking about you know the fact that this is something that you don't do regularly and you're like Mm -hmm. you need to give thanks when I've landed safely and not just like I just assume that I'm gonna (laughs) land safely and now I gotta like think about getting my checked bag and like Mm -hmm. being the jaded asshole that we are so, Becca, will you clap when you land now? No, but I won't judge people who clap when they land. Yeah, that's how I feel, too. It would be dis- I feel like it would be disingenuous for me to clap when I landed. <laughs> yeah, same. But it definitely changed my mind on the, the practice. Yeah. So, as we mentioned, we are going to be talking more to Elizabeth Acevedo, who is the author of this book, in an interview tomorrow. And she's also the author of With the Fire on High, which is one of my favorite books from last year, and The Poet X, which won the National Book Award for Young Readers, which I have not read yet. So we're going to talk more about this book with her, but shall we switch gears and do some other things? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Grace, what is your Instagram obsession? What have you brought to show and tell? So today I'm bringing at Shop B Freedom, and this is a Black-owned fashion label. 
Um, is that the jumpsuit that you were wearing? Yeah, but it's not a jumpsuit. It's these amazing silky trousers and a silky camisole. So, like, I can see myself in fire engine red-orange. It's so cute. Like, I can't wait to wear the trousers, like, in the fall with, like, a, a nutmeg-colored sweater. Um, but now, like, the, t- the little set together is so great. Like, just as a fun alternative to a dress because I wear a lot of dresses. You guys know this. Um, and I, I'm not really a pants person, but these pants are so chic. It was, I love them. I saw you post yourself in this outfit on Instagram, and I was like, this is so cute. It's so cute, and it's so soft, and it's really well made, and she has other really cute outfits. I think she has some jumpsuits on the site and some dresses. It's so far outside of my comfort zone style-wise, but I'm like yeah, it was kind of thinking about too. it. Yeah, it comes in yellow, too. Oh, I do love yellow. I have a, I have yeah. a good but uneven tan right now yeah it's great i highly recommend and it's pretty reasonably priced i mean i think the pants were 229 and the top was 130 so it's not cheap but it's like reason it's like it's like attainable okay okay so i love that what about you so for today's show and tell i brought design addict mom so this is somebody that i discovered through my friend brandy And she is a black woman who is also a military spouse and a mother. Grace, this woman has such good interior design taste. She has the coolest, most colorful home. She has all these plants. She's like a jungle plant lady. Oh, I'm going to be following her now. She also has a sub account for her um, fiddly fig. I didn't follow that one. But um, if you're really into fiddly figs, you can. But um, look at look at her home. Oh, it's great. And her kids are super cute, too. The fact that she had mom in her handle, I was like, I'm not going to like this. But I love it. I know. It's just her house is just insanely. It's really cute. Beautiful. And she also really likes um, a loud wallpaper, which I also really like. So yeah. Yeah, so that's what I'm bringing. What about on the obsession front? My obsession is a company called The Sensual Candle Company. Oh, interesting. And it's another Black-owned small business. The candle's over there. It's next to my bus candle. But the candle that I chose was called Femme. And I got it because usually I want, like, I joke that I always want my apartment to smell like a sexy fireplace. Like, I love my Maison Louis Marie and I love my Santal candles. But this one is actually like a summery candle. It's got peach and tangerine and vanilla and champagne. And when you smell this candle, you just feel happy. And honestly, I think that is what we all need right now is a candle because I think scent is so powerful. Um, It can really like change your mood. And this candle is like the happiest candle. It's also really beautifully made. It comes in this gorgeous black jar. It has a wooden wick. I I haven't had a candle with a wooden wick before. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, it's a whole thing. This is um, slightly out of my arm's length right now uh, for recording, but I need to smell it before I leave. Yeah, it's great. Highly recommended. What about you? I switched dry shampoo brands. To? I started using the Amika Perk Up dry shampoo. What were you using before? So I've been using a bunch of different things. I had a bottle of Living Proof, and I like that. That's my favorite. It's a little too white. Oh, interesting. For me. As somebody with dark hair. Yeah. I feel like it gives me. You need a clear one. I need a clear one or I need one that's just like less strongly white because yes. the Amica one is slightly white, but it's not yeah. as white. Um, and then I also had the um, Orbe one, mm-hmm. which I do not think does much, but it smells, it smells so amazing. Good. And then I got the um, Erosio one because I, I got my hair cut there before quarantine and 
they used it on me and I really liked it. And um, I don't know if it was just like a shipping thing or if that it was just how it is. But like, I don't know. It came and it like sprayed. It's too much. Okay. It's too much. So anyway, I've been like working my way through my dry shampoo stash during quarantine because I don't shampoo my hair very much. Like I probably went from shampooing every two days to like once or twice a week. So I opened a sample that I had from a birch box from like forever ago. Oh, fine. And I just like had it in my travel stuff. But I was like, you know, it was in the point of quarantine where I was like, I don't want to go out, like go to the Dwayne Reed to like get yeah. dry shampoo. So I was like, I'll just use what I have. Um, And like everything takes so long to ship. So I was like, okay, I'll just try this. I love it. Have you tried it before? Yeah, I don't actually like that one. Oh, I we have love it. Hair. I love it. But you know what I love from Amika is their dry conditioner. Oh, I haven't tried that. Yeah, I got given a bottle at a Sephora event when I was out in LA and it was such a life changer because for, for me, my hair, my roots don't get oily, but if I don't shampoo and condition my hair by like day three, my ends are just looking kind of ragged and... So I guess I have both. I guess I need dry shampoo and dry conditioner. It's great. And all the Amika products do smell really good. It smells really good. But I anyway, I used the whole bottle and then I bought a full size from Sephora because I was like, this is my new dry shampoo brand. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I feel like that's a big, you know, switching dry shampoos is a big, big move. It's a big move. Big day. I'm happy with it. Yeah. What about reading? Okay. So I read this book. Um, I am listening to How to Be an Anti-Racist on audiobook by Ibram X. Kendi. And I'm about halfway through. And he is such an exceptional audiobook narrator. And one thing that I'm really enjoying about this book relative to other anti-racism books that I've read is that it is very much interwoven with his personal stories about his family and his upbringing. That's how the book I'm reading, um, So You Want to Talk About Race, is. I, I really like that she weaves in stories from her life. Yeah. It makes it more it makes it a little bit more digestible. It makes it more digestible, but I I just also like stories about people as opposed to like more academic text. So I'm I'm just it's so well done across the board. I'm really enjoying it and highly recommend it in audio form. So I'm listening to that and then um I started Big Friendship by Aminatou So and Anne Friedman, who are the hosts of Call Your Girlfriend. I can't wait to read that. I love them. Okay, Grace. It is so good. So I do not know why I thought this, but at first, before I got the book in the mail, um, so the book comes out in July, uh, July 14th to be exact. And before I got the book in the mail, I thought that it was going to be a coffee table book with like photos of them in flowy dresses like yeah. and like aphorisms about friendship. Okay. So like that's what I assumed their book was for whatever reason. I do not know where I got that idea. And so then it showed up and it it's like clearly a book book, not yeah. a coffee table book about friendship. And um, so I was really curious about it and I like went in with no expectations and I started reading it and it is so good. It is um a narrative-driven story about the history of their friendship. And it goes through um, both like their origin story of how they met, but then also troubles they've had in their friendship with each other and like how they've gotten through that. And then it's also interwoven with quotes from um, experts and like sourced research. So there is like more of a academic look at female friendship, but it is so good. Oh, I can't wait to read it. I'm blown away. I honestly never do this, but I woke up this morning, you know, when I I just like get right to work, I'm like I become a, I dick around on my phone and then like I become a person and I do work. Yeah. But this morning I was like I'm gonna read for an hour. It's just so it's so good. 
Oh, I can't wait to read it. And you know how I feel about female friendship. And I think they share the same opinion. It even says in the book that, you know, female friendship isn't given the same seriousness in our culture as um, romantic relationships or family relationships. And so, you know, to have people who are of the same mindset writing their treatise on friendship, I'm just like eating it up. I'm I'm loving it. I highly, highly recommend it. It is not a coffee table book, if that's what you thought, too, for whatever reason. Um, You should definitely pre-order it. Yeah, pre-order it. That's the best way to support an author that you like. And we love their podcasts. Yes. And what about you? What have you been reading? So this morning – no, not this morning. Last night. <laughs> last night, it was late. It was morning. It was like 1 a.m. I finished Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. And um, I mean, this book, it's been on every list of like the best books of the year. It won the Pulitzer Prize in, for 2020. This book is amazing. The ending ripped my heart out of my body. Oh, this I'm this is a book that I bought um just after seeing it recommended in so many places. Um so it, I have this on my TBR pile too. It's fantastic. It is about um so this black boy growing his name is Elwood. He's growing up in the Jim Crow South. He's like such a good student. He has a part-time job. He's helping his grandmother out. His grandmother raised him. He um is so smart that he's going to the local college to take extra classes. And then he makes this really innocent mistake and he gets sent to this terrible, terrible um, reform school for boys. And the reform school is just like a playground for abuse. And it is so heartbreaking. And I think what's even more heartbreaking is that the book is based on a true story. Oh, wow. So there is a real reform school in the South that it was based off of. And I'm going to probably spend some time this weekend going down a rabbit hole learning about the real one. But um, I can't recommend it enough. It's it's I gave it an A plus when I did my little reading recap. So loved that. This weekend, I'm really hoping to have a two book weekend. I um, cannot wait to read the new Riley Sager thriller. I can't remember what it's called, but it was my book of the month pick last for last month. And then um, I'm also going to read The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which I've just heard so many incredible things about. Me too. My copy hasn't come yet, but I saw a box for me when I left to come here. So I hope it's in the lobby for me. Yeah, that one was, I think it was backordered. It took a long time to come. Yeah. And then I'm still listening to So You Want to Talk About Race, but I only have a couple chapters left. Okay. Yeah. Um, We are going to announce our book club pick on Wednesday evening. So when this airs. Tonight. 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 If you're you're listening to it, the day it launches. Yeah. Um, So we'll announce it in the Facebook group and on Instagram. So you'll definitely know what it is. Join our Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. Listen to rom-com pods. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood, and my blog is thestripe.com. And remember that the Apple Podcasts monster likes to eat ratings and reviews. Yeah, so feed it. Feed it. (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye, guys.